0: Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Ether is the perfect drug for Las Vegas. In this town, they love a drunk, fresh meat. Come on, boy. So they put us through the turnstiles and turned us loose inside. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dose of Ether. Thanks for joining me, your host, Lucian, and joining me again as co-host is Evan. What up, Evan? What's going on? Where are you in the world these days? I am just outside of New York City visiting family. Nice. I am where you were
1: not too long ago, which is San Francisco, and I am breathing this beautifully
0: smoky air. (laughs) Was it? Yeah. Was it, were there all these fires and smoke in the air when you were here? Um, I was in Southern California, and it was a different uh, wildfire. Okay. So yes,
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I was once sort of lived in LA, and uh, I, I one of the big wildfires back then. Which is this was more than ten years ago. Uh, it It was pretty. It was pretty freaky, kind of apocalyptic, to be honest with you.
0: It's uh, the most ridiculous thing is how many wildfires there are this year. This year still is below average. <laughs> oh wow, well, yeah, below the five-year yeah, I mean, running thing. average.
1: That, that, that whole area, I mean, it's like it's beautiful, and people build these you know massive houses out there. But like, uh, it doesn't like you know from an ecological perspective, like they are going to burn <laughs> every now <laughs> and again. It's uh,
0: I don't know, yeah, they're borrowing a lot of. Temporary resources out of the Colorado River, and they don't charge the agricultural industry anything, right? So they're yeah, just water like, rights.
1: Yeah, yeah, the whole thing out there.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's strange. <laughs> yeah, and there's definitely
1: a lot of imperfect allocations of resources in California.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I just find it really interesting how like having left um, California. And having been at DEVCON and coming back to the East Coast, all of a sudden I see like the leaves just changing full fall. <laughs> it's like, oh, since when did it get cold here? <laughs> it's like, oh, seasons? Yeah, These are yeah. awesome. <laughs>
1: it's, it's been cold in Texas, actually. We've had a few different cold fronts come through and uh, actually had to turn our heat on in uh, mid-October, which is you know not, not normal for, for Texas. Where I live. Is it so. kind
0: of weird that I didn't even know people in Texas had heat?
1: <laughs> well, we don't really need it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so amusingly, you know, I I heat my house to something like seventy four in the winter. Uh, we really don't like the cold at all. So uh, you know, we leave we we leave it hot. We might actually use more electricity in the winter than we do in the summer, which is super unusual but we you know we leave it at 78 or something in the in the summer so we don't really use a lot of air conditioning but then yeah in the in the winter it's our heater is on
0: all the time Hmm. that's surprising yeah yeah well the more you know anyway another reason to move to texas
1: (laughs) if you like it warm it's a pretty good pretty good way to go yeah. So, so DevCon, and I guess we're going to talk about DevCon talks?
0: Yeah, I've uh, I've been trying to listen through a bunch of them. And um, there is a lot of content, and I feel like it's not all up yet. I feel like all of the content, especially from the breakout rooms, hasn't been posted yet. But there is more than enough content as of
1: I'm yeah, not sure. you know, most of what's up, I think, is the main stage talks, which, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's been a little beaten to death as to, you know, maybe the fact that the selection was not super great for things that Ethereum people cared about being put on the main stage. But, um, you know, there are still 100 talks out there. Um, I guess we could go through some of, uh, like, uh, what we think are the, the, the ones and why. Yeah,
0: absolutely. You want, um, to, so,
1: you want me to go first? You want to jump in?
0: Go for it. What's the uh, What are the talks that we can see now that you're most interested in?
1: Yeah, um, you know, Danny Ryan, ETH2 TLDR, I think is the name of his talk. That that's uh, that's always a good overview. Danny is a great communicator and is the um, I, I like to laugh I like to like insult him by calling him the project manager
0: <laughs> uh, and he, he does not like that um, Apparently, uh, I really do it too. Lead cat herder already taken actually um, so. yeah well I mean you know he he writes code so
1: he doesn't you know and he is you know one of the main eth two people you know it's arguably like uh, Justin Drake danny ryan and and vitalik um anyway so um he does he work on a specific
0: client implementation or is he more on the research client agnostic side
1: yeah he's a researcher i mean he is like the so the research team is responsible for the python client so and that is um sometimes people call it a reference implementation which is definitely different than a lot of other quote-unquote reference implementations because it's not really a reference implementation in the sense of this is what gets used in production it's more of like the the way this like they wrote the spec in python basically so it won't be a performant client it probably won't even be really a production client but it is a client (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so and like you know the 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 spec, which is you know 0.9, um, which some of the changes which were uh, just got released, version 0.9 of the spec, it's written in Python. And that includes uh, some of the changes which were happening at DEF CON. So there was a, like, quote, unquote, secret charting proposal, which was, um, you know, sort of the very in-the-know ETH2 were buzzing about quietly uh, in the early stages of DEF CON. Um, which was just this re- reduction to 64 shards and then um, making the shards each have much uh, much higher so I, they went up, the number of shards went down 16x and the uh, data availability per shard went up 8x so um, and, and then we now get like uh, much better cross shard communication so like per, sl- per slot, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, it'll be a much, much, much faster uh, system at the cost of, you know, there's 50% less throughput, but that's really not a big deal at the moment, and they can certainly
0: change that in the future. Um, How committed are they to the reduction of validator nodes? Because wasn't it originally set to be over 1,000? what do you mean by you mean shards? Sorry, I mean shards not validator nodes but I assume that there has to be at least one validator node per shard but yeah uh how many shards were there originally set to be I thought it was like oh there has to be I a know.
1: lot more than one one validator node per per shard but okay uh, uh yes uh it was 1024 Got and it. now it is 64 so. Okay. Does so that, that mean sorry, that, was that what... your
0: famous tweet of it only costs $5,000 to uh, to become a validator in terms of staking, mm. does that still stay the same, or does it actually increase proportionally?
1: No, that's a completely different parameter, and that parameter is likely to stay the same.
0: Uh... Uh, I thought I was going to have to buy 20x more Ether. <laughs> that's...
1: <laughs> yeah, no. you, you know that that parameter could change like i could see it coming up to 64 but like you know it's a it's a matter of trade-offs between you know number of validators blah 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 i think it's probably pretty likely to stay at 32 i occasionally tweet out that you know I'm like it could change just in case like people get overly focused on 32 when my tweet is just like a joke i only tweet it when the price of eth goes down right so it's like a it's like a wry joke, basically.
0: Uh, I actually anyway. find it very compelling in the sense that um, I, I'm going to be running my own infrastructure and my own validator nodes as well. So the idea that like <laughs> it's actually a really convenient reference point in terms of like the amounts that I've accumulated thus far. Um, but nice. yeah, it's. <laughs> Also, the times in which you uh, post it have actually been pretty good buy signals in the past couple months but well, yeah, I mean, it's the, the,
1: <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, it's because the price has crashed right so yeah um, like that is generally a good time to buy and of course it's the time when people don't really buy uh, musically enough I mean most average people just don't you know don't do a good job of buying when the price is low and selling when the price is high, right so um, and actually a friend of mine, Tells me that the only time he see he hears about the price is when I tweet that out, which I think is pretty amusing because it's he, has like, a very you know, he only good gets his updates. on his
0: Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm Yeah, he's it.
1: not like a hardcore ETH <laughs> guy.
0: Okay, um,
1: but uh yeah, and, you know, Vlad Vlad replied to one of my tweets and told me that like I don't know those tweets made him made him vomit or something. I don't know, but and that he wanted to block that those tweets. Um, but still follow the rest of my tweets. Um, Which I was like, like it's, it's, I don't know. He thinks it's like a price pumping tweet or whatever. To me, it's just like a ride joke, right? It's like, it's like price went down 10%. Like, look, you could. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, like the volatility of price in this space is almost comical. Like a 30% increase in the Bitcoin price in a 24 hour period. It's like, Good luck storing value in something with 30% daily asset value fluctuation, but the actual comedic uh, aspect of it is the fact that the timing of some of your tweets, (laughs) I actually confused the uh, decrease in the number of shards with a potential change in the number of ETH that you need to buy into stake. (laughs) But it's good to know that that isn't actually connected. and it's actually really good to listen to Danny Ryan's, uh, podcast as well, cause not his podcast, his speech. And, um, I've been reading a bunch of his reports and they're very thorough and it is pretty much the best, like, person to explain, like, the current state of development, ETH 2. Um, there Definitely. are a couple other developer focused, um, talks that i would find very interesting um, specifically monitoring an ethereum infrastructure by peter Um, and i just he's the lead developer of the geth team Um, i find his work very interesting he gave a very good talk last year about the privacy leaks of ethereum which i find fascinating if you want to see how uh, network-based attacks, like the one that Chainalysis or Elliptic conduct, his talk last year is very good. Um, but the flip side of it is how do you actually monitor your current Ethereum infrastructure? I think that would be fascinating. And a, probably another developer-focused um, type talk would be Privacy on Ethereum by Barry Whitehat. I haven't listened to this yet. I honestly just found it uh, in preparation for this. But um, in knowing what he's done with um, uh, leading the research regarding ze- zero-knowledge-based mixers, I think that'll be fascinating as well.
1: Yeah, agreed. Uh, I'll throw out another couple as well. Um, Paul Honor's, uh ETH2 security talk uh, is definitely worth, worth listening to. You know, he... Sigma Prime is, uh, you know, an infosec firm that you know has been doing security audits. You know, they've been around for a while, and now they're doing one of the leading ETH2 client implementations uh, called Lighthouse. Um, and so they've taken a the lead as well on fuzzing ETH2 clients, fuzzing their own, and you know, making sure that clients will be secure in in production. So that's definitely worth uh, watching. Phil Diane's talk about um, bribery and complete knowledge. Um, You know, he's a good adversarial thinker, and he always publishes good stuff. Um, That's, you know, it's definitely worth watching if you are developing on the app layer. Uh, Rune, of course, his talk about Maker, is the founder of Maker, and it launching on November 18th, which we'll see if they really keep, but... You know that's that I think that's really cool because maker is such a fundamental primitive in our system. Mariano yeah, Conti is live-
0: Sorry, they're switching to multi collateral die um, from the current yes. die contract, and then they're eventually going to migrate all of the contract after it's been live for a while. Or are they just yes. turning off the mainnet contract and transferring everything to multi collateral right away?
1: No. Yeah. They uh, they announced the transition plan. They're going to leave it open for a while, but eventually, okay. if you don't, then they are going to do global settlement. So, um, yeah, uh, they, you know, people should should migrate eventually. There is some talk of actually keeping some sort of like their current maker die, like the the pure ETH collateralized die. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, you can do that in in multi collateral die. Hmm. Um. Let's see. What else is really interesting? Um I mean Mariano Conti, who also works for Maker, but uh did a talk about, you know, living on DeFi and surviving Argentina's fifty percent inflation, which I think is is, you know, one of those things that uh, I think he's is, is actually the the video that has the most number of watches so far from from this year. And um, you know, he does it. He as he says, he buys ETH and spends DAI. and um, you know, he's able to stay insulated from Argentina's problems, which unfortunately are only going to get worse because they just had elections two days ago and they reelected the Chavistas that stole billions four years ago. So that country is unfortunately going to go into a major crisis in the next year or two. Um, and anyway, it's a good talk because it like reminds you, you like, can actually have real world consequences that actually do you know allow it's a tool that allows you know people to go outside of their banking system which in argentina because they have a long history of a rotten banking system is is super
0: important they've had a lot of socialist governments trying to inflate away <clears throat> their debt causing massive defaults which actually prevent foreign nations from lending Argentina money in its national currency, which then exposes it to massive foreign exchange risk. Um, So they've been having banking crises basically every 10 years. Yeah. The last one
1: was the Corralito, which is like when they, um, if you know, if people, so they had a parallel dollar and Argentine peso, um, stable (laughs) it was pegged to each other Uh, but like you could actually choose to hold in your bank you could choose to hold pesos or dollars and of course a lot of people held dollars because they didn't have crisis didn't have confidence in the peso and then the peg broke and the banks despite the fact that they told people that they had dollars just said ah we're giving you pesos and of course like that was one of the main reasons like a big you know you can still hear people talk about the the corralito all the time, like if you go down to Argentina, because you know it was like a lie. I mean, they, it was yeah,
0: a it people... was a forced liquidation of their assets, and it's it's a perfect example of not your keys, not your money. Well, since a different yeah. institution that was regulated by an unstable government had control over their funds directly, then they were able to do what they wanted with it. So I'm looking forward it. was to like when Bitfinex well.
1: BitFinex got hacked. You remember this? Oh, yeah. And they yeah. and they just said like, oh well we're just going to apply a thirty six percent haircut across the board. I mean it was basically that but nation state. So and you're the, not allowed the shadiness to redeem of Bitfinex
0: dollars. but <laughs> you're not allowed to redeem dollars, but you could get tether. Yeah. Exactly. And hence Tether was born. And since, $4, trillion, $4 billion have since been, <clears> been <throat> created out of Tether, which is why they're under investigation by the New York Attorney Generals. So, I. Yeah. Yeah. There's a. Uh, I don't uh, know if you saw the article. Used as an exchange. <laughs> the, the,
1: there's an article by uh, the Stripe guy, Patrick McKenzie, I think his name is, uh, who basically. I mean, it was a scathing review of Tether and why he thinks it's the worst fraud since Madoff, I think are his exact words. You know, I've, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. It certainly, I mean, it certainly looks plausible given what I know about the situation. Although I got to say, I don't follow it super closely. Yeah.
0: But um, right, I, I got I, three
1: I, more, definitely. let me.
0: Yes. Uh, there was I another was... one that I actually wanted to uh, attach to the social impact. Um, category specifically, and it was called Emerging Technology and Social Progress. Um, A big shout out to Will Ruddick from uh, Grassroots Economics. Fascinating, truly inspiring work about creating community currencies and bootstrapping them using um, DAI as the reserve currency and about how it's going to essentially allow Uh, DeFi to be introduced into developing economies and if you're doubtful I was too I've worked in philanthropy for a number of years and I had a lot of questions and honestly they've thought through a bunch of them they've been working with the Red Cross and Oxfam to actually implement DeFi in developing countries and I find it incredibly encouraging to see that the same progress that happened between not having connectivity and having cell phones in certain developing countries could happen to the finance industry because they could, have, they could go from not having a banking institution to having access to DeFi through the mobile phones that they have access to. And um, it was a truly inspiring talk.
1: You know, in, in some ways, all of crypto is a response to the fact that our institutions have failed us in many ways, and the banking system is certainly one of those. Um, so yeah, I, you know, that's like, I'm skeptical as well when you say that I had, I had not seen that talk, but Hey, I mean, like Ethereum in some sense is a platform for running experiments and it'll be interesting to see what happens.
0: Yeah. I've, uh, I've actually followed up with them. Um, and since I've done previous, uh, nonprofit work, I'm actually going to try to, um, connect them with the communities where I used to work. And um, actually tried to run an experiment to see if it could be replicated in other countries as well. Um, truly excited about the st- type of stuff that they work on. Um, but they'll have some more announcements later. A lot of it was very emerging. Some of it has already been publicized, like uh, the work that they did in Vanuatu, in which they basically onboarded six thousand uh, new people to a Ethereum-based payment system. Um, using smart cards for the delivery of emergency aid. So, it, when there was like a tropical storm coming in, they were able to actually like airdrop cash directly to these communities. I think it was like $10 a person so that they could help uh, prepare people for a massive tropical storm that was about to hit them. Um, these types of experiments are very interesting, mainly because there is no real alternative for them in traditional finance. So they're going from zero to one, and it's not just like a marginal improvement to their livelihood and their way of life. Right. It's uh, it's from zero to one, which I find really inspiring. Neat. Yeah, I'll check it out. Yep. And uh, what were the other two topics that you had on your list?
1: Uh, well, one was Paul Brody talking about Nightfall, which is uh. You know, some of that, a lot of that wasn't new, but it is a super interesting thing because it, you know, enterprise and privacy, so, and uh, zero knowledge stuff. Um, they've done a great amount of work um, towards getting businesses, enterprises willing to do mainnet stuff by making the transactions private. Um, the others were uh, the optimistic virtual machine talk uh just because that is you know sort of like a part of what has been the whole explosion lately in roll-ups which we could talk about that as well as there was some you know news on that this week and um the the last one was jason carver's talk about beam sync which is i don't know if we've talked about the, that on this podcast but they Basically it's just a new way of syncing an ethereum client and basically it's similar trust assumptions to fast sync or warp sync but it is much faster and so you can sync your client in a matter of minutes like you know up to an hour and yeah i mean it's really like game changing and i've talked to those guys like on the the python team and I think that beamsync will be the next thing that is going to happen in the next few months that is really going to make running your own node so much easier and uh, change the game in, in a lot of ways beyond just that and I you know they haven't published some of that stuff yet so'll I'll leave it to them but um I think like beamsync is going to be a big thing and I think you're going to see all the clients implement it yes so you
0: know, it, yeah it's definitely like one area that remains to be improved upon greatly um, there's no standardization yet i think there's actually a difference between the way geth and parity currently use fast sync with different trust assumptions so even just a consolidation on the security assumptions with using those two implementations thus far would also be very interesting yeah and and parity's warp
1: sync actually is like semi-broken which is like part of the reason why there was a little blow up a couple of weeks ago about parody, which I think we talked about on the show. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that's needed. And yeah. I, I think, um, you know, a little, little preview, um, but basically they think it'll probably push us towards the stateless client model. So
0: we'll, we'll, oh, we'll see. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It, yeah. Super exciting. Should really change some stuff up
0: so before that um let's go back to the roll-up stuff do you have any news that happened this week regarding um roll-up or any new releases it was probably the most talked about thing um, in terms of scaling solutions for eth one during this past devcon but it's uh still a little bit beyond me
1: yeah um i i figured we shouldn't talk about it last time but i could maybe give a really brief and high-level overview. Okay. So roll-up is basically the idea that you, like, merkelize... So you have a separate chain, like a side chain, basically, right? Um, but it's layer two because it's basically trustless because you take all of your transactions and you basically merkelize them. Uh, like, you commit them to the to, to the ETH1 chain or to Ethereum. Um, you you commit... that. So some people call these these uh roll-ups and, like commit chains because you commit the transaction data but because you can do a merkleize, like it's much cheaper you're not doing any of the state transitions or whatnot right like the vm isn't processing it that's why it's the optimistic vm um so you have all of the transaction data um from your side chain on the main chain and then whenever there is um uh, Basically, you you are assume you can assume that it's trustless because you um, you only have to submit a fraud proof, which is to say, like you can either run it yourself or you can pay someone else to run, like basically some kind of like semi watchtower. But it's not a validity proof; it's just a fraud proof, right? So you really only have to follow your own your own data and. Yeah, um, so the, th- that's optimistic rollup basically um, where you have to submit the pr- fraud proof. ZK rollup is more deterministic where you just use zero knowledge. Uh, instead of having to submit the fraud proof, you basically just prove it through zero knowledge. Um, so these, you know, like the uh, the Uniswap and Plasma Group had a demo, the UniPigs thing that was at, mm-hmm. at, at DevCon, which I think could do something like Two hundred transactions per second. Um, they the, that's going to go up a lot. As so, one thing that's in Istanbul is a change in the uh, in one of the opcodes, which basically gives you like five x the uh, like. So some of the opcodes are mispriced, and this one in particular is mispriced. And what it'll do is it'll give us like five x the output on these roll-up chains so super exciting stuff um they're coming uh one of the other things that you know got announced, got announced this week and is fuel which is basically nick dodson's optimistic roll-up for stablecoins, and he just is gonna try to release a, a an optimistic roll-up for stablecoins chain that'll be blazing fast and um you know hopefully he can ship it pretty
0: soon um so yeah pretty neat stuff yeah, that's that's actually like a very high speed up. Um, I wonder what the security assumption changes are compared to the more traditional type of scaling work like plasma or um, state channels specifically.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're they're different. Um, you know, it is like a separate chain, right? So um, it's an actual chain, whereas like in 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 state channels, it's not a chain. You have instant finality. Um, it's a series of signed messages, right? Which is which is a bit different. Um, but then you have much stronger data avail- availability requirements. Um, as in, state channels in Plasma basically use the main chain as a as the arbiter. But that means that you have to be sure that you can get your transaction into the main chain that determines um what like what went wrong right mm-hmm. what, that's okay. still sort of true with roll up like especially well like with optimistic roll up in particular because you have to get get the fraud proof in but imagine you have like a day or two days to get your fraud proof in then the idea that somebody can like keep the chain full for two days is is a lot different right i mean you should just be able to get in the fraud proof you know over a time period yeah that that shouldn't be a big problem so um Mm -hmm. whereas like with plasma if you have a malicious operator then you might have to do like series and series and series of transactions so yeah
0: okay no that's awesome Uh, yeah, because yeah, uh, the data is already on the
1: sense. chain, basically, is the way, the, the way to think about it.
0: That makes a lot of sense. It's also just kind of interesting how fast um, interest and focus has changed, essentially, um, mainly because the understanding of zero-knowledge proof systems wasn't nearly as developed as it was this year, last year. And um, Plasma had a lot more uh, attention in the scaling community and it does seem like it's lost a bit of steam is there a specific reason why they got hung up or have they simply just moved on to a more interesting uh, alternative yeah that's a good question
1: um you, you know there there's actually a link in the uh in, week in ethereum this week that is the optimistic roll-up q a with plasma group and basically so there's multiple things but one of the things they say is you know they they had these versions of Plasma, and basically, they found out that people wanted EVM support more than they wanted, you know, a blazing fast whatever. Like, they wanted the full EVM. And so, that's basically why they've decided that Optimistic Rollup is the way to go because they can support that much faster. <laughs> that's,
0: that's what bothered me the most about Plasma because. Even the more advanced um, implementations besides Beyond Plasma Cash, um, I lost track of the naming, but they were UTXO-based in order to make uh, the submission of fraud proofs easier. But being UTXO-based, it made it impossible to actually do anything (laughs) account-based, basically, um, or any of the smart contract functionality that was enabled by Ethereum smart contracts. So it was like, you're on ethereum but you're using utxo in order to scale ethereum so it definitely seemed like a compromise that um that some people were able to work around but for very specific niche use cases those being trading erc20 tokens or trading uh, 721 tokens but those seem to be the only implementations that i saw on plasma um even with like the interesting type of applications like the plasma based games um, that Loom network and others uh, put out it seemed to always go back to like just the fundamental trading and being able to withdraw from the plasma chain onto a different chain
1: yeah and and because of that like it there was worries that you know the the state on these chains was just going to explode too fast, and you know in the long run they weren't really going to be sustainable if they got adoption. The so, plasma chain yeah.
0: specifically. Yeah, pretty much. Got um, it. So it, then you would hit yeah. a you would hit essentially a limit on how much gas you could use if you did have to unwind a plasma chain. Yeah, exactly. Right. Wow, it's a lot of stuff that I'm going to go back and listen. Um, there's so much more, uh, yeah, like, yeah, just even looking at the, even looking at the messages again, there's so much more. Um, but the one thing that I did want to, um, also recommend before we wrapped up was the when 1 million ETH developers talk by Joseph Lupin. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw it. I didn't, but I did hear the call and... I kind of like the idea. I also think that it's plausible. I think we're close to between 200,000 to 400,000, I might be mistaken, um, developers in the Ethereum ecosystem. But I think the call for increasing that number to a million is, is realistic, and it's something that can be done. Um, and it's definitely something that could excite the community to rally around and get done.
1: Totally agree. Yeah, I mean, if you like, whether you hold ETH or whether you just care about, you know, philosophical reasons you want ETH to succeed, or both, uh, you know, more devs is the is the way we maximize the chance of that happening, and you know, hopefully have a better impact on the world, like like the project you were talking about with these, you know, currencies for unbanked people, or you know, in communities that don't don't have good banking institutions, whatnot. So yeah. Let's do it. A million devs.
0: (laughs) All right, done. We got uh, one more month until the end of the year, something like that, two more. (laughs) Let's get it. One more million, (laughs) another million developers in the next month or two. But I think the, the coolest thing is already being a developer, the more developers that have joined the ecosystem in the last three years, the easier my life has been by like a lot (laughs) it's like every time a new developer comes in it's like one of them builds a like fascinating amazing tool that I can then use to empower my own development to make it even better so the idea and the goal of bringing more people into the space is uh, it's going to make all of our lives easier in the long run as well yeah cool well I gotta go great Great talking to you you again see you next week gonna go listen to a bunch of videos talk next week (laughs) all right bye